One of my friends in seminary was a pilot working on A-10 Warthog airplanes in the Air Force. His name was Sam Secord. And on those airplanes, there would be the pilot's name on the side. And then right under that pilot's name was my friend's name, Sam Secord, as the chief mechanic on the airplane. And often, as the chief mechanic, he would work on the plane. But sometimes they would have to bring contractors in that had special training on the engines or the electronics and different things. So even though Sam wouldn't do the work, he would stand there, sit there, and watch all the work going on to make sure it was done well. And he tells this story, I've always remembered, of this guy that came out that started real early in the morning to work on his airplane. And he, uh, he took everything apart. He got there about 7 a.m., started taking everything apart and put it on the side. And then he does his work, and then 5 or 6 or 7 o'clock at night, he finally gets everything back together, and the guy's ready to go home. And my friend Sam has been there the whole time. And the contractor says, well, I'm done. I'll take it easy. Have a nice night. And my friend Sam walks over and says, you know, there's this bolt sitting right here. What's that from? And the guy says, well, I took everything off. I laid it there. I did my work. I put it all back. And that was an extra bolt. To which my friend Sam, that if you knew Sam, he is good on details. There's nothing getting by Sam. And Sam says, well, that's great. I guess I'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. again. And the contractor says, oh, no, I won't be here. I got to go here, here, and here. He says, and Sam replied, oh, no, I'll see you again tomorrow at 7 a.m. Because that bolt belongs somewhere in that airplane. And you're going to take everything out, put it all back together, and find where it goes. He said, and Sam said, I'm not going to put my pilot up in the air with something missing that's supposed to be in there. See, there was a complete job that Sam expected to be done. And he wasn't going to be happy unless everything was done the correct way on his airplane. And that story came to mind this week as I was studying this passage because God has an expectation for his priests in Israel. And he's not satisfied with those priests because they haven't completed the job he has done for them, as he describes here in Malachi 2. And that job, as I'll show you as we work through the passage, at the end of the sermon mostly, is a job we are expected to perform also as believers today. So today we're going to look at the problem that God has with these priests, the proper picture that God gives for the priests, and how we as people are also priests of God. And we're going to be in Malachi 2 for most of the time, then we'll go to Exodus 19 and then 1 Peter 2. So you're welcome to use a tithe envelope or a prayer card to kind of mark your Bible to switch there when we go there if you'd like to make it a little easier. But I want to give you a little reminder of where we're at in Malachi, because it's been a couple of weeks since we looked at this book. The nation of Judah had been conquered by the Babylonians in 586 BC, and almost all of the people had been taken away to Babylon as captives. In that process, King Nebuchadnezzar comes to Judah and Jerusalem, and he destroys the city, and he flattens the temple. And for 70 years, the people of Judah live in Babylon as captives. But Persia eventually conquers Babylon. And when they conquer Babylon in 539 BC, God speaks to the Persian king, King Cyrus. It's a pagan king that God speaks to. And God tells Cyrus to let these Jews return back to their land and establish life again. 
So King Cyrus gives this decree in 538 BC that they can return. And two years later, a group of people show back up in Jerusalem, in the nation of Judah, and they're trying to establish life again. And they've been led by a man named Zerubbabel. You can read about him in the first half of the book of Ezra. And they get there and they're all excited to rebuild the temple, but then they kind of lose steam and stop. And then a guy named Ezra shows up, which you can read about in the second half of the book of Ezra. Ezra shows up and he gets them excited and they start working on the temple again and try to follow God and then they kind of peter out again. Then this man named Nehemiah shows up a few years later, which is the book of Nehemiah, and he helps them rebuild the walls around the city and they're all excited to, to worship God and they're crying when they hear his word spoken and things like that and they're going to live obediently. And then Nehemiah has to return to Persia and slowly the people stop following God again. And there's a 12-year period when Nehemiah goes back to Persia and that's the period of time we read about here in Malachi. During those 12 years where the people start to wander from God after Nehemiah leaves and that wandering is led by the priests. And so one of the problems that God has with Malachi, as we go through the book, there are a lot of them, but one of them starts with the priest that we're going to look at today. And the problem with the priest is described in verses 8 and 9, as well as in verses 1 through 4. And in verses 8 and 9, God describes what the priests were doing in verses 8 and 9. God says, but as for you, priests, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. So in these two verses, God has four problems with the priests. One, they have turned their backs on God. At the very beginning of verse 8, we saw that. It says, you have turned aside from the way. This was a deliberate action. They are no longer looking to God, but they're now looking in the other direction. This was something that they personally did. It was a personal action that they had done. Sorry, I think that was, a, yeah, first of verse 8. And now in the middle of verse 9, it also says, you are not keeping my ways. They've turned their backs on God and they're not following God's commandments. If anyone knew the law and what they were supposed to do, it would have been the priests, yet those are the very ones that are not keeping the law. The second problem that God has with the priests is they have turned others away from God. In the middle of verse 8, it says, you have caused many to stumble by the instruction. See, when the priests left God's ways, other people stumbled. And it's kind of that image of walking. People have tripped probably in regard to the priests that taught them it was okay to offer poor and unperfect sacrifices like we looked at in chapter one. Or they, these people stumbled, as we'll look at next week, by the priests allowing divorces and things like that within the context of marriage. What the priests were doing was affecting others. And that's seen here. The priests were seen as leaders in the community, and when they turned their backs on God and stopped following his commands, then many others followed them as well. 
The third problem God has with them is they have not maintained God's promise. At the end of verse 8, it says, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi. And the verb here for corrupted is the Hebrew word shachat, which means to destroy, to corrupt, or to ruin. So this was the result of the priest's personal actions and how those actions had affected others. No longer were the priests helping people to follow God or to turn to God. Instead, they were turning others away from God. What God had told them to do was not being followed. And the fourth problem God has with the priests here is they have treated people differently. At the very end of verse 9, it says that they were showing partiality in the instruction. They applied the Bible differently to different people. This probably occurred when wealthy people showed up. They provided more leniency and more freedom to the wealthier folks, but were more strict and, and law, lawful to the poorer folks. We read similar things in the book of James chapter 2. It says, treat everybody the same with love and kindness and respect. Don't show favoritism to the, to the rich or anything like that. So with a list of the priest's failures and how those actions were negatively affecting the people, God now describes what he's doing to the priests. And he does that in verses 1 through 4. He describes what he's doing. And he gets their attention first in verse 1. Picture everyone gathered in the temple. It's the Sabbath day. It's a Saturday. Everyone's there to worship God. And this guy named Malachi stands up. And he announces, maybe from the back pew, and the place is packed. And he announces this. He says, and now this commandment is for you. And he points way up front to the priests standing in the front. This announcement is for you, O priests. This is a big, bold confrontation that he has. And he addresses the priests in front of the people. The evidence against Israel has been decided. They are guilty now God turns his attention specifically to the priests and addresses them as the people, the people from the tribe of Levi, the ones supposed to keep the law and help the people stay holy. He addresses them directly. And he announces a curse in verse 2. He says, God says this curse on the priests. If you do not listen and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Now, notice the word curse that God uses here uh, in my translation. I'm using the New American Standard Bible. Um, curse is used three times here in this one verse. Because when the priests failed to honor God, it results in a curse that he gives to them. And God mentions my name here in the middle. He says, I'm, you have not honored my name. And when these priests are failing to give God honor, he decides he's going to curse them because of that. And he does that by cursing what he calls the blessings here. He's going to curse their blessings. And the blessings he's talking about likely are the income that the priests received from the offerings of the people because people would bring some grain offerings and animal offerings and the law allowed the priests to live off of a portion of those offerings and God says that because they have 
uh, dishonored God's name, he's going to dishonor the priests and remove their income that they depended on. So God gets their attention, he announces this curse, and then he announces what will be the curse in the form of a rebuke. In verse 3, he says, Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. So because of the sin of the priests, the priestly line would be stopped. And God says that here when he says, I'm going to rebuke your offspring. And God explains it with the unclean parts of the animal sacrifices. See, when priests would bring, uh, when people would bring the priests animal sacrifices, they would cut up the animal for a sacrifice, and there were parts of the animal that were not sacrificed. They were considered unclean, usually the intestines and the inner parts of the animal. And the priest would take those inner parts outside of the temple, outside of the area, and they would burn them as separate. They were refused. The NIV translation calls it Ophal, which Dave read from. It's called Ophal. Or the King James or New Living translation call it just dung, which is waste. It's refuse. These were the unclean parts of an animal that they would get rid of. So since the priests were unclean, they deserved to be carried out of the temple just like those unclean animals. In other words, their ministry was over. In this way, the priests will be dishonored just as they had been dishonoring God. Then lastly here in verse 4, God announces why he's giving them this curse in verse 4. He says, then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So after God puts dung on their faces and carries them out, it says they will know that God has done this to them. God is upset with the priests because in Deuteronomy 33, he gave them a very clear job description. They really were only supposed to do three things. They were supposed to teach the law, teach the Torah to the people. They were supposed to make uh, intercessory prayers on behalf of the people by burning incense and pray on behalf of the people. And three, they were supposed to offer sacrifices that would cleanse the people of Israel. Those were really the only three things they were supposed to do, but they're not really doing any of those. So God has described his problem with the priests. He says what the priests were doing and then what God is doing in response to them. But as we've learned throughout our study of Malachi, God's not some angry monster in heaven looking for an excuse to punish his people. He's loving and compassionate, and he wants his people to do what they're originally called to do. And he tells the priests what they're supposed to be doing in verses 5 through 7, where he gives this proper picture of the priests. And in these three verses, God references Levi. Okay? Levi was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. So there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons. One of those was Joseph. And out of those 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. So when God references Levi, he's using that patriarch, that man named Levi, that eventually became the priestly line in Israel, which those priests didn't come about until Aaron arrives on the scene, you know, several hundred years later. So 
when God references Levi, Levi was never an actual priest, but he's using that name and that patriarch to describe the people he's talking to now. In the same way God did this in chapter one when we looked at how God referenced Esau, but he was talking about Edom, where he talked about Jacob to describe Israel. So he uses those patriarch names to describe the people he's writing to now. So Malachi 2, 5 through 7 gives that proper picture of the priests where he says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. From the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So in these three verses, these priests are called to holy living. They're called to holy living because they're supposed to walk with God. As the text says in the middle of verse six, it says he, which he's referencing Levi, but he's talking about the priests as a nation, as a group. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. These priests taught the truth and they walked that truth personally. And to walk is an idiom, right? It's to describe um, the way that we live our life and how we live our life in according to God's will. And it's characterized here as peace and uprightness was the manner in which these priests walked with God. Alan Ross in his commentary comments on what it means to walk with God. He says, to walk with God is to go where he is going, to stay close to him, and to commune with him along the way. So these priests were called the holy living. They're supposed to walk with God, but they're also supposed to walk away from evil. And this is towards the end of verse six, which says, and he turned many back from iniquity. This seems to describe the effect that the priests had on others. So they walk with God personally, but that walk with God personally also describes how they affected others, that they turned others back from iniquity. And the word turned here is the Hebrew word used called shuv, Hebrew word verb shuv, and it's often used for repent as to describe someone turning back to the Lord. And it's in the hifil form, which means that it's causative, meaning the person that's doing it is causing the action to happen. So through their walk with God, the priests are causing others to turn from their sin, repent, and to turn toward God. They were confronting people with the truth and bringing them back into a relationship with God. So those are the two ways those priests were called to holy living. That's what they were supposed to be doing that God's describing. They're supposed to walk with God and walk away from evil. But God also has called them to specific tasks that he's given them. He tells them here that they were supposed to worship God. Verse five, kind of towards the end or the middle there says, He's talking about this covenant he's made with them, with the priests, with the Levites. That covenant should be an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. And the word for reverence here means respect because God chose the tribe of Levi to be priests 
but there was no specific reason that they were chosen to be priests. He just decided. And because of that, the priests were supposed to um, honor God and show him respect in that way. The second specific task the priests were supposed to do was to disciple others. And that's described at the beginning of verse 6, where it says, True instruction was found in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. This is what the priests were teaching. Notice the adjective there, true instruction. These priests were teaching God's truth, God's word, and their teaching was faithful to God's revelation. That teaching would guide people through life as the word instruction describes you know, a point in the right direction. These priests took God's calling seriously. They studied the law and, the, and ways to regularly teach the word to his people. They also dis discipled others we see in, chap in verse 7, which says, For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. This was the expected standard and obligation of the priests. They did this by studying his word, memorizing it, and teaching his word to others. And it reminds us that these priests were supposed to be models in the community. People should have seen these priests and said, hey, that guy, he's got things together. He honors God with his time and priorities and money. I have something I can go to him and learn from him. These priests should have been pillars and and strong people, respected people among the community. So God's called these priests to specific tasks, to worship God, to disciple others, and also we see here in this passage, to evangelize others. At the end of verse seven, it says, for he, talking about the priests again, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The priests were God's mouthpiece. They were supposed to be speaking for God by speaking God's word to the people. They were supposed to declare God's truth so people who didn't know about God could come into a relationship with him. They were the way people that didn't know God learned about him. So that's that proper picture that God gives of the priests here in Malachi. But how does this job description for the priests apply to us right now? In the Bible, the Old Testament actually tells us about this in Exodus chapter 19. So while there was a specific group of people that were supposed to be priests, God had called out the nation of Israel and wanted them to be holy, unique, and separate. He wanted Israel to be his chosen people. So in Exodus 19, it talks a little bit about this and how it applies to everyone. So the context here of Exodus 19 is that Moses leads the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They've been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Moses leads them out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. God is about to give them those famous Ten Commandments and the law. But before God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, he tells Moses why he's giving them these Ten Commandments. And he tells Moses here in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6, he says, And now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. 
So while there is a specific tribe in Israel that's supposed to be priests, the responsibility is also for the whole nation to be priests. So these group of Levites are supposed to be priests within Israel, but in giving the law to Israel, Israel as a nation is supposed to look like priests among all the other nations and look different. And that's what he says here when he says, you will be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In that way, the nation of Israel would look like priests among all the other nations compared to them. And in the New Testament, we learn also that everyone is supposed to be a priest. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about this. So Peter is writing to Jews and Gentiles, and he takes this quote from Exodus, and he applies it to all believers that have faith in God, in Christ for salvation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not believed mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this text tells us that the responsibility once trusted to that nation of Israel has now, during the age of grace, has been given to us as the church. At Mount Sinai, God had told Moses to tell the people, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. But now as people that place our faith in Christ for salvation, we are, here as verse 9 says, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And that's us living in 2021 in America. We too are supposed to be a royal priesthood, a holy group of people, a group of people that is God's own possession. And in the same ways as those priests in Malachi, we too are supposed to do a lot of those same priestly duties. As New Testament priests, we perform those same Old Testament priestly duties. We're supposed to pursue holy living by walking with God each and every day. And we walk with God by reading his word that he has given to us. Maybe we like to wake up early in the morning and that's when we get to spend some time with God, read his word. It could be a chapter or a paragraph or even just a verse if that's all we have time with. Or maybe it's in the evening at night after everybody else has gone to sleep and you can finally have a little quiet time. That's when you spend some time reading God's word and walk with him in that way. We also pursue holy living by walking with God through prayer, by talking to him and sharing with him what's on our heart, telling him about our struggles, asking for him to help us to endure them. We pursue holy living by walking with God, but also, like those priests, by walking away from evil. And we do this by avoiding filthy and vulgar and vile language. The words we speak often reflect the emotions that are in our heart, and that's why we need to be careful of what we speak. It reminds me of uh, the turkey that got kicked out of church. You know why? Because of his foul language. Uh, 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 uh. Okay. We need to monitor our words. That's one of the ways we walk away from evil is by not speaking vulgar language like that. 
We also walk away from evil by not using drugs or abusing alcohol. And we would do that by monitoring what we watch. Several years ago, three or four years ago, there was this app that people were talking about called TikTok, right? So I want to be relevant with people and kind of know what's going on. So I downloaded the TikTok app and I started watching and quickly realized this isn't something I probably should be regularly watching. Every five videos, it had people using all kinds of words that were inappropriate to speak, as well as lots of people dressed in not a lot of clothes, doing lots of crazy dances every, you know, five videos. So I quickly deleted the app and walked away from evil from watching TikTok. But that's what we do. We pursue holy living just like those priests by walking with God and walking away from evil. But we're also supposed to perform specific tasks. And we worship God just like those priests. And we worship God first, a great way to do that is by attending a church service, just like you're doing today. This honors God with our time and our emotions, our, our emotions, but our priorities is what I meant to say. The fact that there are many other things you could do on a Sunday, but when you show up here in person, you're worshiping God with your time and attention. Before you sing a word, before you open a Bible, before you greet anybody, just the fact that you're here, you're showing God that he is important in your life and you're worshiping him with your time and your priorities. And while we're here, of course, we worship God through singing songs, by sharing our prayer requests with him, by hearing his, his word taught, and by encouraging one another in our faith, and by tithing a portion of his income back to him. So we perform specific tasks as New Testament priests. We worship God, but we also are supposed to disciple others, just as those Malachi priests. As the New Testament priests, we help others grow spiritually, which we're called to do by discipling others. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Strengthening Your Grip, he talks about discipleship and he says, discipleship never fails to thin the ranks. Christians all around the globe will line up to listen to somebody talk about prophecy. Our curiosity knows no bounds when it comes to future events. But instruction on discipleship, on giving up my goals and desires, if God so leads, well, that will empty the room fast. And that's what we're called to do is discipleship. And we need reminders because it is difficult, as he describes. And as we try to disciple others, it could be meeting with one person, one-to-one, -one, or it could be in the form of a small group with four, five, or six people where you, in either context, you read some scripture together, you look at it, you pray with each other, and you try to encourage each other in your wake, your walk with God. And you, you just walk through life together and help each other grow in your faith together. Could be one-on-one, -on -one, mentor and mentee, or in just a small group where everybody's kind of walking through life and discipling other together, others together. So we worship God, we disciple others, but we're also supposed to evangelize others. Just as the priests in Malachi were God's messengers, we as believers in Christ are God's messengers in our culture today. And we need to find time to spend time with unbelievers, right? That's one of the reasons that we decided that we want to do this harvest party is kids are going to be going everywhere, getting candy anyway. So why not have them come into our church parking lot in a nice, safe way? And we'll get to spend some time with the kids, maybe meet some families. It's often difficult to get to meet un 
believers and non-Christians, and this is a way that we can uh, get to engage with them and talk with them. They might never come through the door of the church, but they'll walk into the parking lot to get some candy, and we'll meet them there if we need to, because that's what we're called to do and supposed to do, is to evangelize others. And I'd like to encourage you that we all should have at least one friend, one person that's not a Christian, that we're regularly praying for and meeting with and trying to share the gospel with. We should all have just one, at least one person. So I hope that you can see that you and I are priests, so to speak, alive today. And as priests, we're supposed to pursue holy living by walking with God and walking away for evil. We're supposed to pursue specific tasks. We're supposed to worship God, disciple others, and evangelize others. So as we wrap up our time together, it reminds me of how uh, several years ago, I was working part-time at a church as well as working part-time uh, for a janitorial place. And I had a coworker one day in the middle of June say to me, Happy Father's Day, about five years ago. And I found it odd because we didn't have any kids. He knew I didn't have any kids, but he wanted to tell me Happy Father's Day. But then I remembered, oh, he's Catholic is his background. And he knew I was a pastor. So in his mind, Christopher's a pastor, a priest. I'm going to wish him Happy Father's Day as a priest, okay? And even though, you know, I didn't wear the black collar and the little white thing, like he thought that's, that was his mind and he was trying to be nice and, and say something nice. But I couldn't resist the opportunity to gently and kindly kind of correct my Catholic friend a little bit, that while he did have respect for the priests that he calls his father, the Bible, the New Testament, actually teaches that everyone that has faith in Christ is a priest, that we all are that kingdom of priests. And that means we pursue holy living by walking with God and walking away from evil. It means we perform specific tasks like the priests used to, that we worship God and disciple others and evangelize others. Because God had a specific job for those priests in Malachi he wanted them to do. And he's made it clear that he wants us to do the same job as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to uh, read these words spoken 2,400 years ago um, by Malachi to these people living in Judah and Jerusalem. Please help us to know how to apply them to our lives, what it looks like for us to walk with you. What does it look like for us to walk away from evil that we might have in our lives? Maybe we need to do a better job at discipling others or worshiping you or evangelizing others. I pray for the people here that you would work in their hearts and speak to them what that might look like. And we pray also that they, they know you, that they have uh, confessed that they are sinners in need of a Savior and that you and your Son, Jesus Christ, can be the way that they receive salvation through faith in you. So we pray for these people as they go about their week that you would walk with them, be with them, and strengthen them to be that royal priesthood, that kingdom of priests present in Moses Lake, Washington, Grant County, Washington, wherever they might find themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we close out our service today, I invite you to stand and I'll read a benediction and then you'll be dismissed.
Dismiss us now, O Lord, in your name. Send us forth in your strength. Keep us in your care, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.